this week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, we're re-airing a Carathon interview with Father Joshua Wirth on exorcisms. This interview was originally aired December 2, 2014. And now, here's Father Joshua Wirth being interviewed by our Carathon host, Ken Billinger. Father Joshua, if you would, please open this hour in prayer. Well, I think we're going to be talking about uh, exorcism, so why don't we start with a prayer for deliverance, okay? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. My Lord, you are all-powerful. You are God. You are Father. We beg you through an intercession and help of the archangels, Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one. All saints of heaven, come to our aid. From anxiety, sadness, and obsessions, we beg you, free us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, envy, we beg you, free us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death, we beg you, free us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion, we beg you, free us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality, we beg you, free us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship, we beg you, free us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult, we beg you, free us, O Lord. Lord, you who said, I leave you peace, my peace I give you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every evil spell, enjoy your peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. amen. In the name of the Father, Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Spirit, amen. All right, thank you, Father Joshua Wirth, who needs a little introduction to our listeners here, but for those who may not know or those listening as they travel down I-70, Father Joshua is the pastor of Sacred Heart Parish in Plainville and St. Thomas Parish in Stockton. Father Joshua was, was instrumental in, in helping KVDM get off the ground and running, wrote the mission statement for the radio station and also began the Double-Edged Sword Show. So we welcome uh, Father Joshua in. And Father Joshua here joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit today about um, exorcisms and also mm-hmm. a little bit on the Black Mass in Oklahoma. So right. let's start with the basics, Father Joshua. Um, define what an exorcism actually is. Well, exorcism <clears throat> is a prayer of the church, so it's a liturgy. And it's a prayer of the church that has been used since you know, very beginning, in order to do what Jesus said, that we will, through his ministry, through his name, uh, the apostles will, and their successors, and their their ordained priests will drive out demons in his name. So it's a prayer that has been put together throughout the history of the church in order to, to accomplish the work that our Lord has given us, which is to free people from fallen angels, the, the demons that might be affecting their life. Uh, and I, I guess I'm going to jump a little bit off track here, but sure. because I, you know, there's, in fact, there was a show out just recently that I think the church approved was called The Right. Oh, with, yeah. Uh, with um, uh, Anthony Hopkins. That was Anthony Hopkins, yeah. yeah. That was based off a book. <clears throat> yeah, and, yeah, and from what I'm understanding, that that was probably more accurate than the whole spinning head piece spinning. Sure, sort, sure. Piece, you know, that type of thing. I read, the, you, I read the book, I did see the movie. I think the most accurate part was in other countries, it's just very, the exorcist is just very an ordinary thing. So you just go and there'll be like a line outside the exorcist door at the parish and then he'll just kind of do these. So it showed Anthony Hopkins at one point doing an exorcism and he's taking a phone call on his cell phone. <laughs> and to him, it was just an ordinary thing, you know, that was going on. And that's just his ordinary ministry. And, and that's what the book showed, too, that that priest, you know, sees maybe 100 people a day, mm-hmm. and, you know, just saying prayers of exorcism over them. 
where in America it's so rare and so hasn't been talked about in such a long time that it's very extraordinary for us to, to be talking about it or to hear about it. But in other parts of the world, in other parts of the church, it's just a very ordinary thing that priests do. So is this? Um, I guess I'd be curious to know too. I mean, as far as your your thought on the on the accuracy of that particular movie, I know some are just you know way out there, but that one wasn't. I wouldn't. Um, I'd probably be like fifty percent accurate mm. because I think there was a deacon and he was absolving sin. I mean, he wasn't a priest yet, and then he was he was doing the exorcism on the exorcist at the time, and never heard of an of an exorcist being possessed or anything like that. And I've never really even heard of a priest being possessed. I've heard of them losing their vocation in the priesthood because they, they were doing some exorcisms without permission, mm. and the devil used that as an opportunity to get them out of the priesthood. But um, I've never heard of them being possessed or anything like that. And I don't think that was in the original book right, either. Right, I was just kind of curious about that. Well, So uh, let's talk about some of the typical things that lead someone or someplace to need an exorcism. What what kind of share with us what that's all about? Well, basically, whenever we step out of um, God's boundaries, which would be the Ten Commandments, especially the first commandment, that I am the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods besides me. So when we step out of that commandment is when we stop trusting in him and we start trusting in created things and maybe even trusting in um, the created fallen angels unknowingly. So anything the occult, anything like Ouija boards, I just had a movie come out. I haven't seen it yet, and I don't. It's it's put out by the um, Hasbro company that makes the game. So I don't know if they're trying to promote their game or trying to scare people away from it. I'm sure they probably scare people with it, and then they're going to come out with a game later that's probably going to take away, supposedly take away the curse or something like that, just to increase sales. So I, don't, mm-hmm. I haven't checked that one out yet. But um, the Ouija board is a big one. Psychics, seances. The biggest thing I've heard right now is the popularity of ghost hunter shows. So people watch the ghost hunters, and I don't know if it, how much of that is true or not, but um, some of the exorcists said that the TV ghost hunters actually come to them for exorcisms, but mostly it's the amateur people that see the people doing the ghost hunters and say, hey, I want to do that too, and then they go to a local place that's supposedly haunted and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the reason um, behind that, that that's such a danger is because that demons are very legalistic. They're very legalistic. So whenever you kind of enter in their domain, they get all kinds of permissions, maybe unspoken permissions, but maybe just like, hey, you entered into my territory and your curiosity made, led you here, so now I have certain permissions to to attach to you. So especially with the demon, uh, I mean, uh, ghost hunters, they'll go looking for a ghost of somebody that died, but... The demons are great watchers of us and impersonators of us because that's all they do is they have infinite patience. They just walk around and wait and observe us. So they observe somebody that maybe died, and they can imitate that person. And so a ghost hunter often go into a place that's haunted and say, ghosts that are living here, say something to me. Well, you just given the demons access to your ears, rights to your ears, because sound waves bounce off of eardrums and everything like that. So you're giving them that. So they can speak to you then because you've given them that right, that that kind of legal binding. But it doesn't mean that when you leave there, they're going to stop. So that's when people start hearing voices later and stuff like, or let me, they'll say, show yourself to us, you know. And so you're giving them to your eyes to be seen, you know, light reflecting off of them and entering into your eyes. Then you might see something 
But then what happens is you leave there and that right doesn't disappear for that demon. Then that's when people start seeing stuff that other people aren't seeing because mm-hmm. the demons have rights here. Your ears, they have rights to your eyes. You know, Ouija boards, they have rights to your hands. Um, you know, psychics, they have right to your your life and your personal history when you start expressing it to the um, the uh, psychic. So all those things give the demons right to your life, and you really you're trusting in them. You're trusting in instead of God's word and reading scripture, you're going to a psychic and asking them for answers instead of trusting in the holy souls of purgatory and our prayers and the sacraments of the church. You're going to these ghost hunters and you're doing that. Or instead of trusting in God and his revelation, his divine law, we're going to the Ouija board and asking for answers. So you're really trusting in a way you're worshiping these other created things and you're asking them for guidance instead of going to the source, which is Christ and his church. It's kind of interesting because Ouija boards, even when I was growing up, in fact, we may have even had one not knowing any better and sure. parents not knowing better. But the reality is, is there there are so many things that are out there that, that seem to be just what people think are just harmless right. little games right. that in reality are, are, are could be, you know, just as you talk about, very dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, usually people try to protect themselves with intention. Well, I didn't intend for this to happen, so... I didn't really give them. I didn't say you have a right to my ears. I didn't say you have a right to my eyes. But the devil is, is very funny, and his fallen de- demons are very funny. They're so legalistic. It's kind of like a thief sees your welcome mat on your porch and says, well, he's inviting me in here. Mm-hmm. And then they wreck the place, and you you say, well, I didn't intend that to be for you. And the, and the thief says, I don't care. The same way with Satan. He goes, I don't care. You said welcome, and that's exactly what, I, what I'm going to do. But then when you try to get him out, they say, no, no, no. Then they find all these loopholes and stuff. They say, oh, no, I have this right. I, and they start pulling out all these legal arguments and stuff. You know, a lot of, a lot of um, exorcists report that they start an exorcism, and, and the demon's voice will come out and say, you don't have jurisdiction here. And the priest realizes he doesn't have authority because he didn't talk to the right bishop or this person actually belongs to another diocese or something like that or another parish. So he's got to go find who the person is. Or maybe the demon will make fun of or correct the priest's Latin. He's like, oh, well, you didn't say the right word, so I don't have to – you're actually supposed to pronounce it like this, and you didn't say the right word, so I don't have to leave. You know, So they take all the liberties they want when they're going in, and then they take none of them when, they're tr- when we're trying to get them out. And so that's why it's so, it's so important – for an exorcist, he has to find by what right that demon has taken possession. And it's not always, I think we'll go into that a little bit later, it's not always a full possession, but by what right he's influencing this person and then breaking those rights, having a person renounce those rights, and then claiming that person for Christ as a dominion and creature of Christ, and that Christ has domain there and that he has to flee. And and hopefully it will be painful enough for the demon that, and he has no more rights to kind of hide behind that you can finally get him out and stop bothering the person. Mm, that's very interesting. A lot of times we think of when we hear these things or ghosts or, or, or any of this, you know, some people just tend to think, oh, that's, that, really doesn't, that really doesn't exist or that's not, right. that's not really possible. This is just something that's made up. Yeah, that's why it's, <clears throat> it's so important. It doesn't matter about our intention. That's what people often try to excuse. Well, I don't really believe in it, so I'm going to do in this, so I don't really believe in that. Or it wasn't my intention, but again, the devil doesn't care what you what you believe. Right, right. He doesn't, and you know, it's it's the same way to, about anything. In the physical world, you can usually translate it to the spiritual world pretty easy. So, if somebody says, "I don't believe in gravity," well, 
you know, gravity is gonna gonna get you anyway, or I don't believe in the weather, or I don't believe in germs, you know, and stuff like that, and all those things of the physical world that. It doesn't matter if you believe in it or not. If you go into a germ-infested place, it doesn't matter what you believe about microbiology or anything like that. It's going to affect you in the same way the spiritual world. And that's um, probably the scariest thing that people hear is that um, is they say, well, as long as I don't intend for this demon to end, then that doesn't matter. But it's kind of like um, you know the mafia. It's like you can have a spell cast against you and you don't even know and you never intended – but if you're far away from Christ, it's going to have a greater effect. But if you're close to Christ, so let's say you're you're close to being a law-abiding citizen, and the, and the mafia wants to get you, they're going to have a harder time than if you were kind of just a neutral person, or if you're you're dipping and dabbling in in the criminal world, they're going to have easier time getting after you than if you were very close to law enforcement, things like that. So a lot of those things you can understand about the physical world easily translate over in, into the spiritual world. So just like Somebody, you know, mafia could choose somebody walking down the street. So can a Satanist or or a witch or something cast a spell against somebody walk across the street. But if they're if they're close to Christ, so like you have a quick, you're able to quickly go to law enforcement and ask them for help. If you're quickly able to go to Christ and ask for help, then they're going to have less effect than if you were like saying, "No, I'm neutral. I'm just a civilian. I don't want anything to do with this battle between heaven and hell." Or even worse, you're dipping and dabbling in the criminal world and the occult world saying, well, I just want to be a petty criminal. I just want to be a, a little bit in the occult, not not so much that the devil would take notice. Absolutely. All right. Talking with Father Joshua Wirth this afternoon, and uh, we're talking on exorcisms and the black mass in Oklahoma, which we'll touch on here in a little while. Father Joshua Wirth, our guest this afternoon, is the pastor at uh, Sacred Heart Parish in Plainville and St. Thomas Parish in Stockton, talking uh, today uh, about um, exorcisms, and, and we'll also touch a little on the Black Mass in Oklahoma as well. But let's talk about the forms of exorcism, because I understand that there's more than one form. Help kind of define those different forms of exorcism. Well, the, um, the two two of them are, are pretty much... There's a minor exorcism and a major exorcism. And then there's also something that's much less than exorcism, um, and that's deliverance prayer. So exorcisms are, like I said, liturgies of the church. So they have a a definitive pattern and definitive written down form that you're supposed to follow. Where deliverance prayers can be more like what we read today, where it could be more free-flowing, can be kind of more um, just off the cuff, and doesn't have to have a set pattern. So deliverance prayers, anybody can do. To be a exorcist you, and say those two forms of exorcism prayers, which is a major and a minor, you need to have permission from the bishop. Or I'm just the assistant to the exorcist, but I have permission because of that association to to say both the minor. And then everybody has to get permission on a, on a case-by-case basis to do the major. So a minor exorcism is to – see, there's three forms of, let's say – demonic activity. And there's the oppression. That's when something is happening, like things are moving around or you're getting scratches. So it's a physical thing. There's obsession. And that's usually you've getting somehow given um, a rights to your ears and you're hearing voices, right? And so it's mostly just inside or maybe you're seeing things. So it's mostly only something you can see. 
And so that's a pre- that's a obsession. Oppression is when other people can see it and things are moving and there's scratches or something something of that nature. And then, of course, there's a full possession. I've never actually been at an exorcism for a full possession. That's where you get the major exorcism, right? And that's where you have to get permission from the bishop, um, that person's bishop, and, you know, that right ju- jurisdiction so that you have full power and full authority in order to – because that person has somehow given up lots of rights in their life, whether it be, you know, maybe it wasn't even something that was done to them. There's been cases where instead of people being baptized, they've been they've been dedicated to Satan at a very young age. And just like we're able to dedicate people to Christ through baptism, also there's kind of anti-sacrament where somebody is, is devoted or is dedicated to the devil at a very young age against their will, but because their guardians have legal rights to them, in the spiritual world and the physical world, they're able to hand them over. So that's when um, you have things like full possessions where you need the major exorcism prayer. And then the minor exorcism prayer is also used for places. And so um, oftentimes it will be used to to cleanse a room or cleanse cleanse a house or just, uh, you know, it could be an area. So like any priest can say privately the minor exorcism, what we call Chapter 3, for his jurisdiction of his parish boundaries, right? So his parish property and his parish boundaries can say a minor exorcism there just to kind of to put up some walls of defense there against any type of oppression, obsession, or full-blown possession. Mm, okay, very interesting. Now, and, and I had another some, a question that kind of slipped my mind, but I'll mm. kind of come back to that. But let's talk a little bit about exorcisms you know right now as far as you know some things stories or things you might want to share what's the latest in the world of exorcisms right now well the latest is um officially the bishops i just saw approved an an english version of the new exorcism ritual um at their last meeting in november now I don't know how much use this is going to get because the priests have already been using a Latin version of this new ritual that was made after Vatican II, and it doesn't have as much punch as the old ritual. And I'm always confused by this because, you know, I even brought up a couple of extras in conferences. You know, on one hand, I believe that, you know, the right illness has the right medicine for it. But on the other hand, if the church says this is the new exorcism prayer, it should have the full authority of the church. So, you know, I'm always kind of um, torn by this. But but experience has shown that that we tried to, uh, you know, the Vatican II fathers that redid the liturgy and stuff, they tried to make it more of a, you know, follow the mass with readings and intercessions and, and things of that nature. And they tried to call it a celebration. Well, <laughs> the exorcism rite has never been considered a celebration. It's really, it's really, this is terrible to say, it's a torture demon not, or a torture session, not on the person, but on the demon, okay? Mm-hmm. Where you're trying to, you're trying to break their rights, you're trying to break their hold, you're trying to say prayers and stuff. So it's so uncomfortable for them. They're just like, oh, I got to go because this is so uncomfortable. But they can, but they can hold on for a really long time because if they know, I just got to get through this hour and this person's going to go right back to where they were. And, you know, that's why I tell people, you know, the biggest thing is um, if you feel like you got some kind of obsession or oppression or or full-blown possession going on, then what you need to do is just what the Lord tells us to do, what the church tells us to do, and that is get very close to him. Pray to rosary every day. Go to mass once a week. Go to confession once a month. And that's going to break, and it's going to make it so painful for any demons in your life that they're going to say, 
forget this. I'm going to have to put up with this for the next ten years or something, and I, there's no way I'm going to. Mm-hmm. They're going to. They're going to leave. But if they know you're only going to do it for a week. And then you're going to be right back to what you were doing. They say, I can, I can, I can stay that long. I can mm. put up with it for that long, right? So that's where the uh, Vatican II type ritual of exorcism kind of forgets. And, and it doesn't have any direct prayers towards the, the demons. It just kind of talks more about the blessings that God gives on everybody. And, it's, and, of course, demons being legalistic say, well, you're not talking about me. You're not telling me to leave. You're just saying, God bless this person. Well, I can put up with that. But when you tell me directly, under the authority of Christ and under His martyrs and by the power of His martyrs, you know we see in the movies, by the you know the uh, martyrs compel you, the saints compel you, and all that stuff. When you're talking directly towards them, which only a priest should be doing because he has certain protections, you know a layperson should be saying the prayers. You know, God, I'm asking you to to get rid of these people. Saint Michael, drive these people out. But when you're when you're a priest, you can be more in the person of Christ, saying, you know. I compel you in the name of Christ. I compel you. Things of that nature, and the new trans, the new Vatican II ritual doesn't have that as much. It has more of the blessing prayers and less of the compelling prayers, and um, because of that, most exorcists don't use it. So that in the kind of the liturgical world and kind of the church world, that's that's the um, latest. But in the world of exorcisms, we're seeing, of course, we can talk about. The black mass now, I think you know. Well, and before you get to yeah. that, I do. I just thought of the question I was going to ask you before because you made the comment that you had not witnessed a major, right? Uh, but have you have you witnessed some minor exorcisms yeah. then? And, yeah, I've and, done some minor exorcisms. You, you've act, so now. If I understand right, and I, I recall one of our our associate pastors, uh, I think was obviously there's some there's things that certain priests goes through mm-hmm. go through to prepare for this. But sure. is that is was that is that something that you have decided that you have an interest in, or was it something the bishop? You know, you know. I guess what I'm asking is not everybody right. is is involved in exorcisms as priests, but right. there are certain priests. But how are those priests selected? Is it by their choice or by the bishop? Or the bishop chooses somebody that he thinks is of sober mind and of of personal piety and holiness. And so Bishop Coakley picked one of our priests, and then that that priest put together to be the exorcist, and so he's a named exorcist. And then he put together a team, and he knew a little bit about my background, that mm-hmm. I've had some dealings with the occult because of my mother and stuff, mm-hmm. and I've even had, which I found out later, was a minor exorcism prayer said over me, right? So it wasn't a full, full-blown full possession that I had or anything like that. It was more, there was attachments because of my my mother, mm-hmm. kind of like I said, like the like kind of like the spells, you know, against my against my intention or will or anything, and um, so being somebody that's had those prayers said over me, I could I could give special counsel to people that we we're going to say the prayers over, like hey, you know, and that's usually what I do. I say I've had these prayers said over me; they've been very beneficial, you know. But the most important thing is that it's self renewing, and that if you go to the more powerful thing is confession and Eucharist. So if you pray every day, if you go to Mass and receive communion once a week, you go to confession once a month, that's more powerful. And for especially a prolonged period of time, that's going to be more powerful than any exorcism. So, you know, I counsel people mostly on that because because I've been through that. So that's kind of how I ended up doing that. And so I just, and then I leave the major stuff to, to uh, the exorcist and I assist him on that. But on occasion, I can I can act on my own and do the minor stuff. 
that doesn't need specific permission. Right. Well, I just find it interesting, though, that you talk about the importance of, obviously, we get to Mass every Sunday at least, if not right. try to make weekday Mass, but just really some simple things, if you oh, yeah. look at it, that we can do to really protect ourselves and getting to Mass, praying the, praying the rosary, you know, uh, receiving the Eucharist, getting the reconciliation. That's, that's the thing, is there's no, you can't be neutral. You can't say, God, I don't want anything to do with you, and devil, I don't want to have anything to do, because God's a gentleman, and he'll say, all right, Bye. And the devil says, all right, you're mine now because you're not even expecting an attack. And that's the scary thing is so many people are just – they just want to be neutral. It's like, hey, I don't want anything to do with the occult. I don't want anything to do with religion. Well, the thing is, occult's out there. It's active as we see in Oklahoma City and Harvard and stuff like that. And so it's attracting people and it's attacking people. And um, if you're neutral, you're just going to be a uh, civilian casualty, but the devil loves civilian casualties. So he's going to specifically target you. Stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more on Exorcisms with Father Joshua Wirth. On double-edged sword with Father Joshua Worth talking about exorcisms, and now here's our Carathon host Ken Billinger interviewing Father Joshua Worth. We're talking with Father Joshua Worth this afternoon and and talking about exorcisms and also the, the Black Mass in Oklahoma, which we'll, we'll touch on here in a minute. But our guest, Father Joshua Worth, the uh, pastor at Sacred Heart Mar- uh, Parish in Plainville and St. Thomas Parish in Stockton, and um, I guess I know we want to talk about the Black Mass, but talk a little bit about why you think exorcisms fascinate many people. I mean, those movies that are out there, The Exorcist and all those movies, we just talked about the right. Mm -hmm. But what what do you suppose is the fascination there with that? I think the fascination, I think it was C.S. Lewis who talked about it, that we don't know the limits. What's scary, you know, about when people want to see the Exorcist movie, um, you know, the original Exorcist, was that they go... Wow, that could act, maybe that could actually happen. And C.S. Lewis talked about if you said on the other side of this door is a lion, well, there's a kind of fear, but you know the limits of a lion, all right? And you know that the door is going to protect you from the lion, and you know the lion can run so fast, and you can do this and stuff like that. But if I say on the other side here is a uh, you know ghost captain or something like that, what the heck is the limits of a ghost captain? You know, can he move through the walls? Can he take him over my body? You know, how fast does he run? You know, how strong is he? And so it captures it captures our imagination of an unlimited, almost unlimited evil, where the devil isn't unlimited, but compared to us, it's, it's so much greater than us. You know, um, having the powers of, of a fallen angel is just so much greater than us that that's what people are really afraid of. I, a movie I would recommend is um just came out recently is Deliver Us from Evil and that was based off of this New York detective guy and an, a priest exorcist that works with him and kind of yeah they sensationalize a little bit but it had confession in there it had the, some of the actual prayers that you say 
And so that was that was the most important thing I thought is, and, you know, and this and this guy didn't have any um, he didn't have any connection to the occult, but he had done some dirty things as a cop. So that had allowed um, the devil to work his way in there too, because that's the other thing that it doesn't have to be the occult. You know, it could be serious sin that you're so far away from from God that the devil can get you. Because I always say the devil attacks two people, really holy people, like you know Saint John Vianney or something like that, because he's frustrated. He's just frustrated and he just lashes out. Or people that are really far away from God, you know, serious sin, because the devil knows that if he attacked you, you're not going to pray because you've forgotten how to pray. You're not going to go run into the church. The last thing that the devil ever wanted you to pray. All right. So um, that's why there was something on YouTube about maybe there's like a satanic rosaries out there that look like real rosaries and stuff. And that's I don't know what those are, but they're not. You know, the devil can't in, and intercept a Hail Mary, you know, get an intercept a Hail Mary pass but uh, <laughs> from football. But he can't intercept a Hail Mary and use it for his own good, right? A, the last thing that they ever want you to do, the devil ever wants you to do, is say on Our Father a Hail Mary because it breaks their, their hold, their power. And so he only really attacks. So if you're in serious sin and, you know, we've heard of, um, uh, actually have heard of, of somebody being full-blown possession because they – because of one act of fornication. Because one thing that the devil likes to tell people that are really deep in the occult, really deep in sin, is go out and get me somebody else. So they go to the bar on Friday, Saturday night, and they pick somebody up, and, and the woman, man, has no idea that the person they're sleeping with is using them as a sexual sacrifice, and they're really a witch. Or the Satanist is using the girl as a sexual sacrifice, and he's really a Satanist. And they have no idea that they're they're associating with that. And that, that comes, again... It's a trap, and the trap uses something something attractive as bait, right? And then it's got you. And it wasn't their intention, it wasn't anything like that. But and especially you know fornication because it's such an anti-sacrament, you know, it's such an anti-marriage thing where it's not open to life and it's not permanent and it's not faithful, you know. So it's such an anti-sacrament. It's almost in a way it's like a black mass. That's why it's so dangerous. For people to be stuck in serious sin because even that, you're not messing with – again, you want to be neutral. You just want to be neutral and just dabble in sin, you know. Mm-hmm. And the devil says, okay, God's not protecting that person anymore. They stepped out of God's blessing, and I'm going to get them with with some kind of trap. Interesting, very interesting. And things that, we again, we don't even really even think about. So mm-hmm. uh, some great information. Okay, can, can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, great. Who's calling here this afternoon? Uh, Christian. Hey, Christian, you have a question for Father Joshua? I do, and uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is I do a lot of things on YouTube, and there's a lot of with Steubenville and, and uh, just a lot of good sites on there. And there's one that uh, I find questionable. It's called Vatican Catholic. And there's uh, some brothers that get on there, and I guess they say they're uh, fathers. And uh, they say a lot of different things about uh, Freemasonry and and witchcraft and, and things, and which all sound great. And then they have one on there about Pope Francis, and then they start saying things about uh, Pope Francis. But how do we qualify the things that are on YouTube? I've heard you mention YouTube as a resource. How do we qualify things on YouTube? Well, I think the best way to uh, qualify these things is, um, you know, Fulton Sheen said there's three ways you can tell the demonic. That's a celebration of nudity, a celebration of violence, and a celebration of division. 
And what would worry about what you're saying there is, you know, attacks on Pope Francis. You know, I, one of the greatest things I love about um, being associated with the exorcists and going down for exorcism conferences is that I'm around a bunch of priests and we all love the Pope and we all hate the devil and we're working again and we're working for the Pope against the devil. And so when they're trying to create a division between the faithful and the Pope, that's when my spider sense kind of goes off and says that could be dangerous because, as Fulton Sheen said, are they creating division or are they creating unity? And we always want to be going to people that create unity in the church and using them as a resources. It's so it's so difficult nowadays. I mean, we see in entertainment there's plenty of celebration of nudity. We see in the culture there's celebration of violence and abortion. And, and we have Catholic politicians who who vote against the Catholic faith all the time. So, and they're creating division. That's what I would recommend is is looking at those three things and seeing if they're creating unity instead of creating division. That's what I would worry about there. Because uh, uh, on YouTube, as everybody always says, you know how bad it is, but there's just a lot of good things on there for evangelizing uh, sure. on YouTube. Sure, I know Father Barron, he's one of my professors yeah. back in uh, seminary, and he's got, but again, you want to find somebody that's teaching the truth, find somebody that loves the Pope and hates the devil, and then you can pretty much trust them. Okay. All right. All right, Christian. Hey, thanks for the call this afternoon. Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. Father Joshua Worth talking this afternoon on exorcisms. And we want to talk a little bit about the Black Mass in Oklahoma. Uh, it was Oklahoma City, I believe, yeah. was it not? And, and that was just recently, a recent recently. story that we saw. Uh, in fact, I know uh, Archbishop Coakley right. waged in on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so kind of share with us a little bit about that. And for people who may not have heard about it, mm-hmm. kind of just give us a little background there. Well, a little background is that it looks like there's usually two types of Satanists. There's one that actually believes and, and worships Satan as a fallen angel and tries to get power from him. And there's another one that they use the term Satan, but they don't believe in any supernatural beings, but they consider themselves a disciple of Satan, meaning Satan, meaning adversary. So they want to be an adversary against the church. And so we're seeing a new um, public stand from Satanists where there was Harvard tried to have a satanic mass, black mass. It was eventually moved off of Harvard grounds to a, a club, I think, a bar or something. And then uh, this one, which ended up happening at the Civic Center in Oklahoma City. And I still can't quite tell if they are, which group they belong to, if they are actually worshiping as they admit to, um, you know, the fallen angel Satan, or they're just, they want to be an adversary to the Catholic Church, and so they call themselves Satanists in order to do that. But either way, like I said, the devil doesn't care. He's like, he, he's a lot less, we often think the devil is so prideful, he wants a credit. He doesn't want the credit, he wants the chaos. Mm. So he, he would rather have the chaos than have the credit. So, yes, there was a terrible thing down there in, uh, in Oklahoma City where uh, the worst part was he was claiming to have a consecrated host from an actual Catholic mass, from an actual Catholic priest, right? He said there was he had somebody that was a, a Catholic priest in Turkey that was secretly a satanic priest, which unfortunately um, priests have done worse things than that. But, I mean, another, another Judas really is what he was. Mm-hmm. If that's true, the hard thing with Satanists is they're, they're notorious liars. That's the problem. So it, was he just saying that in order to get people riled up? I I don't know, because if I want to get people riled up, I'd say, 
there's a Satanist priest in America, and everybody would be like, oh, my gosh, maybe it's my priest, you know, type of thing. But he said it was a guy in Turkey that's now dead, I believe, because of some Muslim persecution. I don't know if he was killed because he was walking walking around as a Catholic priest or they found out he was a Satanist and killed him. But anyway, it's hard to tell with all, all the lies that they, they mix with the truth. Mm. He claimed to have a consecrated host, and the, and the Archbishop Coakley wonderfully you know i always kind of consider him he's kind of like a reluctant soldier i mean nobody wants to make these things public but since the satanists were making it public he made it public that we're going to to have a lawsuit against that guy i forget his name but um we're gonna have a lawsuit against him and say the catholic if that is from a catholic priest and from a catholic church and that's what you're claiming then that's our property and you can't use it for for anything else and, you know, would that argument have worked if he went into trial and stuff like that or went before a judge? I don't know. But the guy, of course, didn't want to have to hire a lawyer and do all those things. Mm-hmm. So he handed over what he claimed was, was a consecrated host. But the best part is they made him sign a contract saying, I swear under penalty or whatever that I do not have a consecrated host, nor will I try to obtain one, nor will I claim to have another one. So that was the best thing, mm-hmm. is that he couldn't just hand one over, hand over consecrated host and then buy another one at the store and say, oh, I have another one. You know, He couldn't claim that at all. Instead, what I was following in uh, newspapers and stuff was that he claimed to use black German bread from 1666, the original, what they originally used in... Uh, from Germany, from the first Satanist movement. And there was a couple things that struck me about that. One, he's showing us that Satanism, actual movement, only began around the Reformation. I've heard this said before that in the confusion of the Reformation, people start coming up with their own rights and said, hey, let's, um, we don't have to follow the Catholics anymore. We can be Lutherans, we can be Calvinists. Why Why don't we just be Satanists, you know, and reject everybody? And so that was interesting to me, that he wasn't claiming to be some kind of pre-Christian religion or even some um, early Christian religion. He was claiming to be a post-Reformation movement. So that was interesting to me. And then the other one is that he was saying that this is not consecrated or anything like that. We can do the same thing with just regular black bread or whatever it was. So those are very interesting to me. But that was great that he was Archbishop Copley was able to get that guy to sign that um, that declaration, and then, of course, the Black Mass, like I said, is anti-sacrament. So they want to make it as opposite of of the Black, uh, you know, a regular Mass, a real Mass, as they can, and so they try to get the a consecrated host, and they try to destroy it. They try to spit on it and stomp on it. And just um, you know, treat it horribly. They try to use a woman's body as an altar, what they call a flesh altar and stuff. And and I saw some of the videos of of this black mass, and it was just it was just awful. I mean, one he he came out and said he came out and said to the news people news people that were gathered there. Unfortunately, some people as part of their job had to, had to be there and report it, uh, which is unfortunate for them. And hopefully they're they're close to Christ. So they don't be one of those unintentional victims again mm-hmm. of Satan, but um, that he came out and said, "Listen, yes, I'm anti-Catholic, okay." And it's so fascinating that he is able to use this public space, you know, rent this public space, and saying that I'm doing this anti-Catholic thing against this religion. But if he 
What if he would have said, I'm doing this anti-Jewish thing. I'm Yes, I'm anti-Jewish. Yes, I'm anti-Muslim type of thing. Would he still be able to mm. to rent that property? So Great question. Yeah. That that was really frustrating for me that he admitted that this is I'm an anti-Catholic and I'm going to I'm going to um do this anti-Catholic thing and the civic center said, well, we can't do anything about it, even though they have obscenity and discrimination policies in their rental thing. They didn't, they didn't enact those. So Archbishop Coakley organized Eucharistic procession and adoration in order to venerate and honor and adore the Blessed Sacrament, uh, adore our Eucharistic Lord, and in doing that, you know, counteract any of the damage done by the Black Mass and opening up connections to people, but also just to show that this is our, this is our true faith that they're mocking. You know, another thing that the, it taught us was that the Catholic faith is true because Satan attacks it. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. he didn't have a black altar call or like <laughs> ask people to claim Never the thought of that. But they didn't. He didn't have a black Bible study. He didn't have a uh, you know ask people to take the devil as their Lord and Savior type of thing. It was a black mass, and the devil doesn't attack his own, right? As Jesus told us many times, you know, what good would it be if if I was working for the devil casting out demons, right? right. And that would be the right. devil casting out his own. And so it showed all of us that the Catholic faith is true, and the Eucharistic Lord is true if the devil's attacking it and getting people to make these um, overtures in order to gain more power, because that's really what it is. They do these desecrations. Usually they do it in private because they don't want the, like I said, the devil doesn't want any type of prayer. Um, so usually they do it in private so that there isn't this focus and organized prayer and mm-hmm. opposition to get it, because that's just, so that makes me think that they're one of those Satanists that don't really believe in an actual fallen angel. They just want to be an adversary to the church. But, um, Either way, that like I said, the devil loves the chaos, and he can and he can attach those people during that. And so, unfortunately, those people are going to have a difficult life that attended there, and especially those that participate in it. But anybody that was there, the devil could use that as a like I said, a, a welcome sure, mat that, that you're way. here, you're in my territory, right. and so I get to affect you in some way. Do you recall the numbers that attended this black man? Were there was that was that talked about? I believe it was about forty people oh, that so, wow. that had tickets, and then probably another twenty people. You know, it was probably almost as many people that were like in the news and stuff trying to take it. And the guy yeah. dressed up as a as a Catholic bishop too. <laughs> really, <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah, he was wearing a bishop's cassock with the purple piping and everything on there. So. And I talked to Exodus of Oklahoma City, and and he ta- he said, you know, it was in the news that that him and uh, Archbishop Coakley went there the next day to that place, and they did uh, what is called a minor exorcism over places, and he used blessed oil and exercised salt, exercised um, holy water, and to close out any connections with that room, so anybody using that room won't have any connections. But unfortunately. Anybody that was there would still have those connections because you need you need consent in order to perform an exorcism, even a minor one, on somebody. Wow, that's very interesting. You hear of the black mass from time to time, but it's and again we know that they're probably obviously going on mm-hmm. what, the, those that we don't know about just because of the fact that you mentioned right. we don't want the prayers happening. Mm. But is there? I mean, is this something that's? Are we seeing more of it? Are we seeing? Is it becoming more and more? Yeah, exorcists have talked about how 
there's been a rediscovery of of the dark arts of the black arts, uh, sorcery and, and witchcraft, and that there's seals and protections sometimes put on people to keep exorcists from delivering a person, and those seals have to be broken, and those and those protections have to be broken before. So we're seeing more of it, and we're seeing more public face of it, and it's all in the name of tolerance. See, this is where we've lost our way as a Christian nation, is that I found out recently that uh, talking to the exorcist in uh, Oklahoma City, after Archbishop Coakley started making this public, that he had a public opposition to this, that Satanist guy who put this on started inviting Archbishop Coakley to dinner and things of these nature, trying to talk to him, and he ended up sending him a a, a ticket to the event, the, the Black Mass, and told him, you know, well, I understand that Christ tolerates, you know, is a is a God of toleration. So you should come here to this thing. But that's what people don't understand about Jesus. He does not tolerate evil. All right. He tolerates the imperfect because we're imperfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we can tolerate things like you know Protestant denominations because they have some truth, but it's imperfect. Right. We can tolerate sinners because they're imperfect, but we can't tolerate evil. And that's what this world, this country, has forgotten is. We can't tolerate abortion. We can't tolerate fake gay marriage. We can't tolerate um, black masses. Those are evil. So we have to oppose those things, just as Jesus opposed those things. You know, there's a famous story in, in the gospel where Jesus says, you know, if somebody sins, you know, go talk to them, then bring a brother, then bring the church. And even if they don't uh, don't repent, then treat them like you would a tax collector and, gent- and Gentile. Well, how did Jesus... Um, treat tax collectors. He had dinner with them. So he he loved the person, right? But if a tax collector was having a housewarming party with a house he built off extorting taxes out of people, you think Jesus would have gone to that housewarming party? No, because he opposed that evil. He opposed that evil. He talked to Gentiles and had dinner with Gentiles. So he loved the sinner. But if a Gentile was marrying a Jewish person, the Jewish person is leaving the faith and and doesn't believe in the natural institution of marriage, would Jesus go to that marriage where the Jewish person is leaving a faith and they're opposing God's natural marriage? And he'd say, No, I'm not gonna I'm gonna oppose this evil. I'm not I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna tolerate you because you're imperfect, but I'm not gonna be a part of these things that, that and that's what um you know, this guy didn't understand is that well you say that's why I call he would say that's why I call the church hypocrites because they they preach tolerance, and then they won't even come to my black mass. No. Hmm. We, we preach tolerance of the imperfect, which Christ did. And then we oppose evil, which Christ did as well. And we've I've seen that in a couple of things. You know, we even had a seminarian at uh, Mundelein Seminary who unfortunately struggled with same-sex attraction, left seminary, and got married in you know, fake, one of these fake marriages in another state. And he sent his archbishop... An invitation to this fake gay marriage type of thing. Uh, aren't you tolerant with an invitation? Aren't you tolerant? And Christ would be, you know, tolerant. He ate with mm. sinners and stuff like that. And the Archbishop had to write back, no, I'm opposed to evil. You know, I love you because you're imperfect, and I tolerate you because you're imperfect. But I have to be opposed to these evil things that you're, you want me to participate in, right? And so we have to look at our own life, you know, even if we have somebody in our life who isn't, Christian who wants to be that neutral person, are they inviting us to things that are evil, that are against the teachings of the church, against the teachings of Christ, and because of that, we we can love them and we can tolerate them 
and love them because they're imperfect, just as we're imperfect. But we can't tolerate and and uh, participate in those things that are evil, contrary to the Lord, contrary to his teachings, his divine revealed law, sometimes even his natural law that he's written into our own hearts. Yeah. Boy, I just I wish we had another hour because I think yeah. we could go on. But I, before you go, I just want to, you know, there are so many things. We talk about just the way our world is today and, and the all of the issues, a lot of what you just addressed. But mm-hmm. there are other things out there. I mean, as for parents, things to be watching for because there's so many kids' games, there's kids' sure. things that really there is a dark side to them. And a lot of times sure. parents say, oh, this is just harmless kid mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. What's your What would be a message to parents as far as really watching out for the things that they either purchase for their kids or allow their kids to get involved in, things like that? Well, I would say you have to ground your kids in reality. You have to. They have to be grounded in reality. And reality is Christ and his church and his sacraments. You know, we just saw something where I didn't even know about this. My nephews, my little nephews know about this, but there's apparently an Internet boogeyman called Slender Man or whatever. And because those poor girls, they weren't um, grounded in reality about wh- who is real. Is Christ real or is Slender Man real? And they went out and they killed somebody, one of their classmates. I mean, these are like 12, 13, 14-year-old girls. They killed one of their classmates, stabbed her to death so they can so they could summon this Slender Man, this, this boogeyman on the Internet. And so we have people... Now, if you go to a bookstore, there's all kinds of things on Harry Potter, how to be a, how to cast spells like Harry Potter, how to, you know, master the Ouija board, how to master the tarot cards, how to do. And if you're not grounded in reality of Christ and the sacraments and His church and what is good and what is evil, then you're not going to understand Harry Potter. You're not going to understand even Lord of the Rings. You're not going to understand some of these things that were written by Christians, but they were grounded in reality, and then they can go into fantasy. But when all you have is fantasy, and your only your only truth is darkness, and how dark you know that's going to be for you, because that's what I'm finding now is people, you know, I play video games, but I try to be grounded in true reality, and then I can go into these into these fantasies. But if you got like um, the guy that shot up that Newtown, you know, he was only into the fantasy, had no relation to the real spirituality, the real God, and he only had those fantasy video games, and he wanted to get a high score. He wanted to have the biggest high score of, of mass killing. And that's that's where we get in danger. So make sure if your kids are into fantasy and stuff like that, that's great. That's wonderful. You know, There's so much stuff with C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien with Catholic imagination, Christian imagination, but they have to be grounded in and reality, which is the only real thing, is God and His Church and His laws and Jesus Christ, who who revealed the beauty of God to us all. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Appreciate your time, Father right. Joshua Worth. Always, always a joy when you thank come you. in. Thank you. Thank so. you for doing this again. This yeah, I love to do it. All right, love great. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's Double Edged Sword. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show for Father Joshua, please email comments at dvmercy.com. And folks, eternity is not seen, and neither are these airwaves. But if you can support these radio waves and help save souls for eternity, go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. 
where your donation will be seen and appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, KVDM 88.1, broadcasting from Hayes. If today you hear his voice, pardon not your hearts.